You are listening to Word Up, a place where we share our stories because who we are matters. Glad to have you back joining me here on Word Up. Today, we move to Temiskaming District Secondary School with teacher Courtney Barker and her students, Avery Winters, Bree Gibson, and our special guest, Karen McBride. Before I introduce our special guest, Karen McBride, I'd like to let this week's co-hosts introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves. Hi, I am Avery. I'm a grade 11 student at Temiskaming District Secondary School. Uh, I enjoy reading, drawing, and writing, and I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, hi, I'm Bree. Um, I'm in grade 10. Um, I go to Tuskegee District Secondary School. Uh, most of my time, I'm either at school or at my job with the Ontario Northland buses. Um, I also went to Kearns Public School, and in grade four, you were my student teacher with Erica Doucette, and you drew me this. <laughs> And you put a quote on the back, and it says, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what, to, and you, know, what you, you know, and you are the one who will decide where to go. And it's from Dr. Seuss, and you signed it and said, thank you for all the memories. So, oh, my God. I've, it's <laughs> just always been in my room on my wall. So That's amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad you kept it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like craziest coincidence. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty Still cool. Nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool though um, to have that connection. That's awesome. And then maybe I know she's not going to be as involved. She's kind of in the background, but maybe your teacher would like to introduce herself. Hi, I'm uh, Mrs. Barker. I teach English here at TDSS, and uh, I have the pleasure of teaching these guys in the grade 11 uh, new curriculum uh, that is focused on Indigenous literature. And I read, uh, Karen, I read your book when I was on maternity leave, and I loved it. And I was just so happy I was able to incorporate it uh, to the course. Awesome. That's so cool. (laughs) So great. It's so great to meet all of you and be reintroduced and to join you here. Yeah. Sorry, well, I feel like I'm jumping the gun. I'm on. No, no, it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm glad you're stoked. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks everybody for joining me. Uh, today we are honored to have author and artist Karen McBride here with us. She's an Algonquin Anishinaabe writer from Timiskaming First Nation in the territory that is now Quebec. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Music and English, a Bachelor of Education from the University of Ottawa, and a Master of Arts in Creative Writing from the University of Toronto. Crow Winter is her first novel, and CBC Books named Karen a writer to watch in 2020. So thank you, Karen, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so we have just a bunch of questions and we'll just kind of see where they take us. We might not even end up using the questions that we have down. Um, but because I like to focus on student voice, I'm going to let our co-hosts take over in the beginning. And then I might interrupt and get bossy and you guys can tell me to shut up. That's okay. <laughs> All right. um, so first question, uh, who inspires you as an author or even just like a person? Oh, wow. That's a good first question. Um, I think I get my inspiration uh, from a lot of the women in my life, especially with Crow Winter. You can see in it, there's a lot of really strong women, female characters supporting each other. So, I mean, it's cliche, but my mom, 
Um, for sure. And my sisters, uh, Kate and Allison. And then, of course, I have a whole wealth of aunties who I am both related and not related to, as is Native tradition. Um, so they all inspire me um, just in everything. And then also to create great representation for uh, Indigenous women to see themselves in work. Um, but uh, writing-wise, I get a lot of it inspiration um fuel from fellow writers like Eden Robinson um who is just like leading the path and uh, Sheree Dimeline who I just love she's amazing and was like so welcoming to me when I was on my tour a million years ago in 2019 when we could do things like that and meet in person um yeah it's like uh, all of the indigenous writers out there right now Joshua Whitehead is so fantastic and just I could go on and on and I don't want to just do that for the entire time. But um, yeah, I think there's just so like a wealth of talent right now um, of, of writing and then for, of indigenous writing, especially um, for all of us to look up to and myself. Where did you get the idea and inspiration to write this book? Well, it, a lot of it is kind of inspired by my own life and what I was feeling and um, going through after I lost my own dad, because a big part of the novel is, is dealing with grief. And um, I remember I was like reading a book at one point and I read a quote um, about how we deal with grief. And it really it struck me um, to find something that I could relate to. So, so like in my bones. Um, and I thought, Hey, this, someone did this for me. Maybe I can do that for somebody else with my own story. Um, and it also, it was just a really great way for me to get my own grief down on the page because I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, therapy, awesome, hundred percent recommended. That was a big thing that helped me write the book too, but writing itself became, um, a way for me to continue that, uh, that self-healing. And then also just wanting to see more, um, Indigenous female characters at the forefront and then to throw in some, some magic and just really create something that like we can see ourselves in that's mm -hmm. joyful yeah that was the other thing it's like it, it's not the same typical story that you see the stereotypical thing that Canadian literature likes to to sort of put Indigenous folks in a box you know that it's not mm -hmm. it, it's not a trauma story it's not about residential schools it's um, it's about us living in the present and about finding joy in that. And I, I love just because you're talking about trauma and, and about that connection that I'm sure a lot of people are, are making in your book, even though it's not a book about, about trauma, um, there's still a lot of connections to colonization throughout, mm -hmm. throughout your book. But I'm just wondering, in the book, one of the lines that I'm sure anytime you talk to people, this line must always jump out. You say broken, um, broken people build broken homes. And um, I thought that was a super powerful statement. But what I liked most about that statement is that in order for Hazel to heal herself, she has to go home. Um, mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting that you're making, making this statement. And we know that her family has gone through a lot. We know she's gone through a lot. Uh, so in a sense, they are broken. And yet mm -hmm. um, their home isn't broken. And, and it's actually mm -hmm. a source of healing. So I'm just wondering, can you talk a little bit about that? And about what that means for you? For sure. Um, one of the big things I wanted to sort of impart on the, the wider audience who's reading my book is the power of the Native family and the power that we have 
uh, in, in supporting each other and creating safe places for each other to heal, um, no matter what sort of cards we've been dealt. Um, because Indigenous folks are at a disadvantage in many ways. I mean, because of colonization, um, it, it touches every aspect of our lives. We can't just exist like everybody else. To be an Indigenous person is to be a political body, in a way. So it was important for me to show that Hazel was coming home to a place that a lot of people might not be familiar with and think, oh, they only hear bad things about the reserve um, in the news because that's what gets sensationalized, that's what sells that's what gets people clicking on things. Um, so I needed to say, no, look, this is the res and we love it here. And it is a source of healing. And even though sometimes it can be, it can be a little boring, let's be honest. I mean, like I, when I, li I lived at home too for a while, because like I was teaching on the res and um, I started to go a little stir crazy because like there was nothing to do. Um, nowhere to go. I'd have to drive to Liskard to get, do anything. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to town. I'm going to go to Walmart today. Big day. Uh, <laughs> right? So true. Um, exactly. Right. Like that was an event. Um, but it's still such a beautiful place and it is a source of all of our connections and not just with our family, but with the land, because there is like a love language that we share with the land and that itself is healing. So it's like building, even though we are broken, we're not completely shattered and we are putting all of those pieces back together. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I, I I got that for sure as I was reading it and I just thought it was so powerful. Um, back over to my students so I don't keep talking because I will. <laughs> I must jump in for once. Um, so I found that too, like reading it, I mean, like your descriptions of the landscape and everything, I mean, it just highlights the, the area a little bit. Never, I mean, from everywhere people can can connect to that and, the, and how um see our our like our area can be taken for granted even by us we see it every day but I think in the book um Hazel as she's coming home and I, I connected to it too with that drive back from university right you're seeing it with fresh yeah. eyes almost yep. and you feel that sense of nostalgia and like you're you're home you know they they connected to that here and I think that was really important Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, personally, I connected to it a lot because um, I moved away for about a year with my mom. Um, and then I came back and it was just like, you know, I just felt, I just felt better, you know? Yeah. Like you feel like you're home. There's something yeah. like it, there's this like yeah. an exhale after you've been holding your breath for a long time and you're like, right, mm -hmm. this is where I am. And I love it here. No matter where you are, where life takes you where you grew up and like where you were born will always have that deep, strong connection for you. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, just speak to how your connection to your land uh, influences your writing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a huge fan of drawing attention to how beautiful our home is uh, and how important it is that we take care of these places and um, sort of leave them ready for our next generations that follow us. Um, a lot, oftentimes Indigenous folks are called stewards of the land and that can sometimes get a little cliche and like, put a lot of onus on us to like make sure everything stays safe when we have to fight so many other battles. So of course I'm not speaking for everybody, but for sure myself, it's important for me to like have that that connection and then also to carry it into my writing and to create this space that is representative of 
what I know of my home. And um, also to just bring people away from these same stories that we keep reading um, and to bring life uh, to characters that exist in these different places. We're not all urban and the urban experience is not one size fits all. So much of our, our stories as Anishinaabeg are, are rooted in the land and you can tell histories just by looking at a landscape. Um, and I think bringing that into fiction and to the wider audience is really important to really get people sort of like centralized in the land and realize that we're their place in it and that it's not just somewhere you live, but you live with it. Do you have a, a message for uh, you? For sure. You know what? It's absolutely never too late to pop in and learn whatever you can and how however you want to go about learning and reconnecting with culture is okay and is amazing um there's i'm okay to age myself more um being on twitter is a recent thing for me and there is so much like angry discourse out there that's like this is the only way to be native and like if you do this you're doing it wrong and blah 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 and that just honest to me that seems like completely the opposite of how we as people connecting to our culture should be i mean there are urban indigenous folks who have never been to a res how and like that does not make them any less native than someone who grew up on it and or who has never left or who had left and um i think just any way you can connect to it is a little doorway in it's someone taking your hand and saying come on and come learn more and that is really the goal is we want to keep our traditions alive in any way possible. So I guess however you get into it is how you get into it. And then just keep asking questions, find someone and, and ask some more and get those teachings and find a buddy. That was how I did it. When I first started learning more about like the sweat lodge and different ceremony, I was super intimidated because I am paler. And I thought, Oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm, I'm, you know, playing a role. I'm not, put in it for the right reasons or whatever but that's not how it is um if you go in with the the right intentions and from a good place you'll be welcome to the exact same way yeah I love that you just talked about doorway right that's such a huge mm-hmm. part of your of your novel of these doorways that that exist between our worlds and and mm-hmm. that we can if we ask those right questions and we seek the knowledge that we can kind of enter into different worlds and, and different knowledge. Um, I heard you talk in a different interview, you were talking about teachings and you were talking specifically about interactions with animals and learning from animals and observing and that there are these other teachings. Um, and in your novel, it comes out and you also have that kind of connection with the supernatural as well. But you said in this, this other interview, you said it's about trust in the teachings that you've been given. If you speak with them, then you'll know them. And um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, because for me, it was such a powerful statement. I so don't remember saying that. Sometimes I hear things that I've said or written and I'm like, I I have totally, totally (laughs) taken it as my own. (laughs) I believed you. (laughs) Yeah. Aaron Buckman quote. I'm doing it. It's coming. Oh man, that's it's so funny. So honestly, even just reading back my own work, I remember when I was looking at my manuscript and editing, I came across something and I was like, oh wow, that's so cool that the editor like fixed it that way. It turned out she didn't even touch that line. And I was like, oh, well, not so bad. You yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're, you'll always be surprised by how awesome you are. And if we have to not doubt ourselves so much, I guess is what our 
gained from that experience. Um, but to go all the way back to animals and teachings, um, recently I was given another teaching when I went to a sweat lodge last year that when we see our animals friends, we should just say hello and, and ask them like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for your teaching. And um, if you'd like to give it to me in whatever way, I'm ready. I think we can learn a lot from our animal brothers and sisters and just seeing how they interact, even just with us. Look in this city and see how squirrels and raccoons have adapted to live with us. And I'm bringing up squirrels, especially because there are some huge ones here. And I always forget that they're not gigantic at home. And I come home and I'm like, what's I bring my kids to the city and it's like, we've yeah. never, we've never left the North. They like just sit yeah. there and watch the squirrels all day. <laughs> They're huge. Yeah. Um, so even just that is like showing you the importance of being adaptable and there are all kinds of things we can learn just by being open to them. You did the illustrations for your book, which are absolutely amazing. Are you doing any art outside of, like, how do I phrase this? Are you doing any more with your art now? Um, well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad you like them. Um, I remember when I first walked into my meeting at HarperCollins, I told my agent, like, I have, like, five little pictures, maybe, if we want to throw them in there. It was just, like, I was for sure going in thinking they're going to say no, like, why would they accept my art? Because as all artists, as I'm sure you know, you're like, my art's not good. I'm terrible. Everyone's better than me. But like, we have to stop that self-talk, but whatever. That's how I went in. Um, and I showed them to my editor and the art director at HarperCollins, who just happened to be nearby. And they loved it. And we're like, actually, can you draw more for us? We can put them at the beginning of every chapter. And I was like completely shocked. And it's like, you're asking me to do more art? Yes. Um, that was super cool. I did the, the crows on the cover as well. So they all match on the inside. Um, so that was a really important, like reaffirming moment for me to say, Hey, maybe I can actually say author comma artist after my name. Um, I haven't been able to draw a lot lately because I'm working from home and slash living at work all of the time. So my day job takes up a lot of work, but I am working on some new stuff that's going to have illustrations in it so I yes I am continuing to do things and also grow as an artist in a way I'm, I'm considering moving into digital art but I'm kind of super intimidated and also stubborn and don't want to learn something new or don't want to struggle learning something new let's be serious like I want to learn but I don't want to suck at it but anyway I'm sure you guys understand <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> What made you decide to become like like a writer, like not over, but like more so a writer than an artist? Um, I think I'm just better at writing than I am at drawing, but I'll maybe have a little bit less doubt in terms of my writing, but that, that's still there. I think that just comes with having this imposter syndrome. Um, but I think it, also writing comes quicker, I think, and there's more I can do with it. And I've always, I've just sort of like chosen to dedicate more time to writing than I have to drawing, but I do um, love working um, with art. It is something that's always brought me joy and I've been doing it since I was, well, young in school and like 
drawing Sailor Moon for the first time. That was my big like dive into getting into it. I used to draw all kinds of anime because I mean, come on, it's beautiful. Um, but I'm always like pushing myself to do more as an artist. And I think um, this next thing that I'm working on that is sort of like art and writing, it will help me to try to find a balance and give um, more love to that part of my craft. Awesome. Can you give us any hints to as uh, to what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> I think I'm making it sound way cooler by talking around it, but it is a it's um, a middle grade fiction nonfiction uh, work that talks about dreams. So there's going to be some really fun illustrations with that. Um, but I am also working on another novel, so that is something that's. For everyone that is a little more YA actually um that's where my heart is, is is writing YA I love it um so I'm super excited about that next project so I have so, too many things on the go but I'm excited about them all well we're excited too <laughs> <laughs> um I'm wondering you incorporated a lot of language in your novel um can you talk about the importance of language yes um I wanted it to take up space, no matter if I was doing it correctly or incorrectly, because I'm sure my grammar is not or correct. Because um, is hard. Um, but it was important that it was there and that people were reading it and seeing it there and that I didn't define it instantly. And you'll notice that it's in italics. So these um, non-Indigenous or Algonquin readers can say like, oh, I know that's not an English word, but I'll try to gain meaning from what it, how it's used, but then also throwing in the, the glossary at the end so people can kind of like go back if they want to. But um, there aren't any hints that there is that at the beginning, so I like that people are just going in and reading it because I've had a lot of... Um, people say, Hey, I didn't even like, I didn't even know that glossary was there until the end of the book. So I was just like accepting it as, as there. And that's so exciting to me because that means that you're saying, yes, that is a language that exists and it's valid. And even though I don't know it, um, I'm letting it into my life. So it was so important for me for, um, decolonization and reclaiming culture that we do that and reclaiming our languages, especially, um, that, it, that it's there and it doesn't explain itself really exciting um i recently did like an interview where i got to talk to leanne batasnasak simpson about her most recent book um nope ming a cure for white ladies and in her book her anishabemuin isn't put in italics and she she just was like no it's there it exists and i don't want to make it stand out for anyone because it, it just takes a place like any other language and i thought that was so cool and i remember being like oh why didn't i do that that's so smart um so She's, yeah, so it's similar. But. Yeah, she's pretty. She was my prof, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, she was. She was my prof at Trent. So yeah, she's amazing. Um, but I, I actually, just so you know, I actually saw mm -hmm. it um, the way that you're talking about it. Like I saw it as a little act of defiance that the glossary was at the That's end, good. and um, I thought that was really clever uh, of you. Mm -hmm. And um, like you're saying, it takes up space. And I, I like that you said that it might not have been grammatically correct, you know, and um, mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of students who are who are struggling to learn words uh, and and especially introductions. I think a lot of my my students are starting to like, how can I introduce myself in my Indigenous language? Um, and it's funny because they get so proud of themselves. They're learning, they're YouTubing, taking like 
you know, online language classes and then they come to school and they're angry because their grandma said that they said it wrong or, you know, and I think it's right. What you're saying is um, just, just taking those risks and taking those chances and putting themselves out there is an act of reclamation in itself, you know, and it's, we're all learning Mm -hmm. knowledge is, is ongoing. So I love, Mm -hmm. I love that you included it. Um, back to my students. Yeah. Sorry, I'm chatting. <laughs> I uh, I didn't know that there was a glossary at the end, and so every time I saw a word, I Google Translate it and try and like learn how to say it. So yeah, that's yeah. awesome. See, but and it made you do that, right? Like you saw it came across, and we're like, well, I want to yeah. know what that means. So it made you ask questions. My mm-hmm. teacher brain for you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever met Dana Bush? Personally. I feel like he hasn't interacted with me, but it could be. I mean, silly things happen to me all the time. So if it's not him, it's probably the little people. Let's be serious. They take stuff and move stuff all the time. Ask any Native person if they misplace their keys. They're like, little people. (laughs) Um, But I do think uh, crows come to me a lot and uh, ravens are important to to me. And I see them all the time. And usually... um, they they sort of show up when I need reassurance and it's really neat and that goes back to that teaching I was I was talking about earlier that when you um see an animal friend that you, you sort of like hey I'm noticing you a lot and like okay I'm ready for your heat and so I'm often talking to crows and, and ravens and being like okay what do I need to learn what am I doing here like help me out and uh yeah so I haven't met Nana Bush I did get him tattooed on me though Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Sorry to the listeners who can't see this. But. <laughs> You're missing out. Google it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that is one way that I like to think I carry him with me. That's awesome. And, and it's interesting. I love um, your emphasis on Nana Bush as a, as a god right? And that you're, you're so proud to carry him with you because uh, there's kind of like a counter narrative about tricksters um, as well. And, and whether or not tricksters are, are, um, I don't like the word good, but whether or not their intentions are positive, right? And I think mm-hmm. um, I've, I've had some interesting teachings and conversations about tricksters. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about your take on tricksters. Um, well, the one I know about them is that they often are serving themselves only. Um, so if that messes up your life, that's too bad for you. Um, and I think that kind of happens to Hazel in the book. I mean, he, Nana Bush just sort of stumbles in there and is like, all right, let's, let's fix me. Um, but I think what I did with it in, with, with tricksters in the novel is sort of flip that script and think, ask questions like, well, what happens if someone's been that way for millennia and is tired of it and would like a change. And especially with someone like Nana Bush, who is both per like human world and then the spirit world, he's, he's got like two sides that he's fighting all the time. So has no real place um, to find that sense of belonging, which is sort of mirrored in Hazel's search of belonging as well. So they're both looking for somewhere where they feel home, feel at home. And, um, I wanted to, to to take that approach to, you know, like really showcase that there is not just one narrative, but many um, when it comes to our tradition, but also that we can play with tradition as well. And 
it, when it's done in a good way, we can create our own new mythologies in a, in a way. Like, and like my big dream would be just like that we get superhero movies too, you know, like that you, there's a big indigenous superhero movie. Like I remember when I saw Black Panther, how stoked I was that like so many black folks could see themselves on screen and like unabashedly. So, and then I thought, how cool would like we get, like, how cool would it be for us to see that same thing? So one day, fingers crossed, we'll get to have that same sort of stage. The characters, I don't sound like a silly question, but the characters' names, like, did they just, did they mean something or are they just kind of names? No, I'm so glad you asked that because no one ever asks. And I always put so much emphasis on how I name my characters and I love putting little Easter eggs here and there. Um, so thank you for asking. Uh, Hazel is named after my aunt who passed away when I was a little girl and it was a way for me to honor her, um, and sort of like give her story new life. Um, I know my cousins were really excited when they found out that I called her Hazel. So that was a little like treat for them. Nora is my mom's middle name. So I was like, you can have that. So she often is like, hi, I'm, I'm Nora. I'm Nora in the book. And I'm like, mom, it's just me. It's not you. Uh, so, um, I chose Gagno as a play on the French word to win, Gagné. So, ah. Yeah, so that has, there's all kinds of layers with that, right? It's some, for, for the character and what happens with him, what he does and all that stuff. But what about, I haven't talked about it in so long. What about Gus? Is Gus a name? Oh, Gus. Uh, yeah, Angus is my dad's middle name. Oh. So I sort of tossed him in there like that. Um, and Abe. Oh, the dad, Abe. Abraham um, is a play on the father's name in Thompson Highway's Kiss of the Fur Queen. Uh, Very his cool. Name is Abraham, which in itself is a reference to the Bible. And Abraham has like... It's the idea of what the children inherit from, like, sins of the father inherit. You you inherit the sins of your father, so it's like you're, you're fixing the issues that your father creates for you or left for you. Um, I'm so not in, don't know anything about religion, but I was like, Thompson did, so that's cool, and I'm going to borrow from him. <laughs> but it's just sort of like a little, it's a, it's a shout out to that in a way. That's awesome. For me, uh, I loved it because my daughter's name is Nora. My grandmother was Hazel, so my daughter is Nora Hazel, and my dog's name is Gus. So as I'm reading it, I'm like, this book is for me. For you, obviously. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Very nice of you to consult me. (laughs) So my my question is specific for our students who are graduating um, this year. And um, I'm wondering if you can talk about your experiences leaving home. And, and some of the challenges that you faced when you left home and just any advice you would have for them as they're leaving to attend post-secondary? Um, wow, okay. When I, first of all, I did a victory lap. So I didn't leave as soon as I was done grade 12. I, I actually applied for a program in archaeology and was like, who do I think I am? I'm why? Um, so I stayed behind a year because I was like, that's not right. Um, so it's okay to take your time. That's a really important thing that it it's not as like high stakes as um, we're sort of fed that idea that like, you have to know what you want to do right now. Like, no, you can go to school and figure it out. 
and and you can make mistakes. I mean, I changed my major like four times, pretty sure. And I changed universities. So you, it's never too late to change. And then I went to teacher's college and went and taught for a year and a couple of years. And I was like, I don't think this is right. And I went back to school. So um, explore all of the things that, that inspire you and that, that you love and that it's this is the time to do it and figure out what's going to lead you to a path that to a career or trade or whatever that, you know, brings you joy every day. Um, when I left home, I was super sad. I was super homesick, like pretty sure I cried solid the first week I was away and called my mom and dad every single night. Um, I'm super close with my family. I'm also the baby of the family. So I was like, it was, it was a lot, um, but it's okay. And, and other people might not have that same experience and that's okay too. So whatever you're feeling is completely valid. Um, yeah, I guess just be okay with feeling all of the things and just explore everything that makes you, you, this is the time to do it. Yeah, it's love- never too late to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Because I feel like, um, one of the things that I love when you compare kind of Western worldview and indigenous worldview is that Western is very linear, right? And this idea that here's your starting point, here's your end point, and it's a straight line in between. And really, we all know lived experience means you have you have no idea what direction you're actually going to go in, you know, and, and staying open to those opportunities. And um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, the way I wrap up my podcast is something called the fast five. So I'm just going to spit fire five questions and you don't get lots of time to think. You just got like lightning round, okay. lightning round. This is a okay, <laughs> game it. show lightning round. Um, what is another book you would suggest we read? Uh, Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead. Uh, what music are you listening to right now? Um, I'm listening to this, new, this artist called Hannah. It's like electric pop spacey thing. I really like it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, a mental health tip. So what do you do when you, when you're stressed out? Um, I draw, I watch TV and I game. Awesome. And this last one, I'm wondering because language was such a core focus. Can you teach us a word in Anishinaabe Moen? Uh, my, my favorite word is the word for horse. Okay. Which is Pepe Jigo Gashque. Pepe Jigo Gashque. There you go. Yeah. Pepe Jigo Gashque. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you guys all for joining me. I'm going to stop the recording. Don't go anywhere yet, but (laughs) (laughs) it was fun. Once the formal part of the interview was over, Karen agreed to meet with the rest of the students from the class. So we quickly ran through the halls with her still on our Zoom. She was able to point out some of her favorite places and memories from her time as a student at TDSS. Once in the class, the students began to ask her questions, and I decided to record this conversation. So if you have a few more minutes, then listen in. You'll hear the enthusiasm of the students and the inspiration that Karen provides them to take risks and claim their place. As always, thank you for joining me here on Word Up. I look forward to next time. Until then, fist down, Word Up. Wisdom beyond every stone you turn. Let truth be key to freedom and bondage. To the path that holds the line.
maybe it started as a hobby. I actually started writing because I was writing fan fiction. So that's how I got into writing. So absolutely anyone can write. I was, I wanted to go to a magic school and Rowling didn't make a the place that was inclusive for me. So I said, screw you, I'm going to make my own. So I wrote fan fiction in that way. Um, so absolutely, anyone can write. And you can do it at any point in your in your life. You don't have to go to school for it. You don't have to get an MFA. You don't have to write as soon as you're out of high school or be this like ingenue or whatever. You can be a published writer at any point in your career. I just saw um, someone who is published for the first time at 55 and their debut novel is doing is out, I think next month. And I think they've already sold their, the filming rights to a company and it's going well. So at any point in time, for any reason, you can write and be a successful writer. Um, have you ever thought about making your book into a movie? I would love to. I um, actually, the um, amazing artist who read the uh, audiobook, Ganya Tio Horn, um, she and I have been talking about it for a while now. Um, this was uh, before she had her baby, though, so now she's like super busy, but she was like, let's make it into a movie. I'm serious. Um, so I'm, you know, talking about it and hoping for it um, one day. And I always, I think because like I'm, a big fan of movies and any kind of place that brings different kinds of art together. Um, so also like I love video games and um, all that fun stuff. So I like to, to view my writing in that way. So I've always pictured it as a movie, if that makes sense. So fingers crossed. Jeez, the questions are starting. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So I, I write books a little bit, um, but I have like a hard time writing stuff in the middle. Do you have any like advice kind of thing? Like I just can't fill up the middle. So I know what I want to start. I know what I want to be in the middle. I know what I want to be at the end, but like all that middle part, I don't know what to do. That's a great question. And it is, it is tough for those, those like scenes that are on the way from point A to point B to C and so on. Um, I think you always have to ask questions about like, what does my character want and how can I stop them from getting it? Um, so you're creating little like obstacles and think of, again, to go back to like TV and movies, what are the, what's the chief point of one episode of a TV series? You know, what's happening there? So think of it as sort of like episodically and that can help too, that you're like giving yourself little short-term goals that fill into a full arc of like a TV season. That makes sense. I like the TV and movies a lot, guys. So, <laughs> uh, did you base base a lot on yourself? Um, in some ways, yes, and then others, no. Uh, a big thing for me was making sure that I was finding a good outlet for my own grief when I lost my dad. Um, so I give Hazel a lot of those characteristics of myself. So it was a way for me to sort of deal with with um those big emotions um but at her heart she's she's her own person she's her own character she i think goes through a lot more cool things than i do um i haven't figured out how to talk to animals yet but i'm working on it um 
yeah, so she really did become a bit of a placeholder for a lot of my own feelings, but um, in the end, she, I put her through a lot more stuff, I think. Jeez. Ayla, do you want to come? I don't know how much time you have left, but hands, hands keep popping up. <laughs> All good. It's, it's lunchtime. We're good. <laughs> so I have a question kind of just about the planning process of writing. So I write sometimes as a, a hobby. And sometimes when I'm for an idea I have, I go on like tiny tangents about details of the setting or the characters. And it kind of makes me go off track of what the main plot is. Do you have any tips on how to not derail like that? Um, well, first of all, that's great. I think you should just let yourself do it. Go nuts. This, if this is your first draft, you can do whatever you want, right? Um, a great thing is when you're have get an ed have an editor have a friend who may maybe have a little writing group or like a, a buddy you can share your work with if you're ready to to share it um who can help you say like oh I don't know if we need this sentence or whatever but um all of that is part of the process it, going into big detail like that is 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 great and then helps you world build as well um so I say just let it all out and then take it when you go back and read it again, that's when you can say, oh, maybe I don't need this, or is this important to the plot? No, and I can cut it here. So go nuts in the meantime, and then that's what the second round of edits is for. That's what the third round of editing is for. So just let yourself go and have fun with writing. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Okay. Another one coming. <laughs> I'm making them get their steps in today. <laughs> Well, it's fine. Um, cute book. <laughs> books that sort of, I don't want to say inspired you to be a writer, but like, do you have any book series that you really like or that you're reading right now? Yes. Um, okay. Name of the Wind. So the Kill King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss. Um, I read that when I was in university and instantly I was like, this is amazing. Um, because I love fiction, I love um, sorry science science fiction and fantasy are my favorite genres of writing. Um, I enjoy magic realism too, but uh, anything that's like big fantasy. Because I love these world building things. I love that when you're writing fantasy, you can change and create whatever you want. So love those. Um, I love Lord of the Rings. Big Tolkien fan. Um, I have Elvish tattooed on me, so like I'm pretty serious about that. Um, and then I'm also currently reading uh, the Trickster trilogy by Eden Robinson, and that's fantastic too. So all of that. Um, are there any other series that I can think of right now? All of my books are packed away because I'm actually about to move on Friday, so I would normally have a whole set here that I could just like peek and look at. Ah, uh, who else do I like? I like Christopher Moore. He writes really ridiculous, funny things. Um, yeah, but for sure, Patrick Rothfuss and Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. There's supposed to be a third book coming in the trilogy. I don't know when. It's been years, but no pressure. I get how hard it is to write a book now, so I'm, I'm not as, like, angry at him for taking a long time. So, um, but yeah, those are, those are my big recommendations and, and what gets me writing. Are you going to um, write a sequel to Crow Winter? No, no, I don't think it's, a, I think it's a standalone novel. And her, Hazel's story is, 
is her story. But I do think I will come back to some of the other characters or maybe set something in the same area or you'll see like little people, people come in and out um, of these stories because I like the idea of having like a, a full world of characters to explore. Why don't we ask one more question? Yeah, I was going to say, why don't we do one more question? Okay. Uh, if you could say, like, if, you know, the case of just popped up out of nowhere and you could tell her, like, anything, like, what's something you'd say to her, you know? Oh, that's a good one. Oh. I'd say that I was proud of her um, because she really pushed herself to um, confront her grief and to process it. And she also opened herself up to being vulnerable and reconnecting with her culture. Um, coming home is a really scary thing to do, um, especially in a small community where everybody knows everybody. <laughs> that can be really tough too. Um, but yeah, I think I'd tell her that I was really proud of her and that she she did what she needed to do and she's on the right path now. And I feel like that's such an awesome way uh, to kind of wrap up, right? Just that mm-hmm. she's on the right path and that we all might struggle to, to find that path, but that we just have to trust that we mm-hmm. will and, and appreciate the people we have around us who are guiding us to that path. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I'm so glad I got to, to see your class and to, to come in and chat with you. I wish I could have come in person and we could have had more conversation about the book, about writing, about dorky things. Um, yeah, and thanks for reading. I mean, it means a lot to me to see it in school and studied and all that fun stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking time to be with us. And thank you, guys. Thank you, Miss Barker. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Me too. Bye.